My great-great-grandfather George was a captain in the Confederate Army. And the family lore in my house is that his own brother John apparently left the family and went off to fight in the Union Army against his very own brother. My mom remembers her grandmother talking about this as a child. But despite all of the records that we do have of her own grandfather fighting for the South and even him getting injured in a battle, there are no records of his brother John leaving or moving or fighting anywhere. Maybe this is just the case of 160 years of bad record keeping at work, or what I think could also possibly be the case is this, that these two brothers didn't get along so much that over the years the story grew and grew and grew until we remember them literally going to war together. I can relate to this a little bit. I myself have three older brothers, and as kids we would go to war with one another fighting over just about anything. Fighting over seats at the table, lots of stitches being done up in foreheads over those sorts of scenarios, and all of us always fighting desperately for attention. I know that's hard for you to believe that I might be desperately seeking attention, but um, <laughs> despite our immense privileges, we always seem to want what we didn't have, and the divisions between us would go up very quickly, and they would often go up with fists between us. My mom actually... My mom put a, a piece of tape down on the ground, on the floor, in between our designated seats at the dining room table, a piece of duct tape on the hardwood floor, and if we ever crossed that line, well then we didn't get dessert for that day. And I also remember when we sold the house, being on our hands and knees trying to scrape up the tape on the floor because my mom was so embarrassed and she thought, gosh, who is, people are going to wonder what animals lived in this house. There's like cages around the dining room table. What in the world is going on here? It really seems to me that the last four or five or six or seven sermons that I've given have all been about one thing, and that is about divisions in our lives, divisions among us in one way or another, in our country, in our homes, in our hearts, and in our minds. And while I was writing this sermon, I got a little frustrated by this revelation. No one, after all, wants to be a sort of one-trick pony. But the more that I've thought about this, the more it makes sense. Because whether we're talking about disputes over ice cream, disputes over a literal civil war, we are all divided in one way or another. We're divided from our neighbors. We're divided away from the places and the people that we want to be. This, unfortunately, this sadly, is our story. But it's into that story that Jesus intervenes. In the gospel reading today that Kathy just read, we see Jesus, as he often does, knowing us better than we even know ourselves. The whole passage that Kathy read is a really beautiful scene in which we see Jesus praying for us, praying for his disciples, praying for his people. It's a really beautiful image. If you close your eyes and picture Jesus kneeling and praying for you, 
knowing that you and I will struggle in this world and that we'll struggle with one another. Jesus also knows that we're going to struggle with God. The very disciples that were in his midst, the people that he was praying for, those are the very disciples who in just a few moments are soon to betray him, soon to deny him. And it's yet to such as these that Jesus prays for and gives his love to. Jesus prays that we may be one. This is the refrain throughout the whole reading, that we all may be one. And if you think about it, this is an incredible thing that Jesus is praying for for us. Because unity, in one way or another, I would argue, is sort of what we all want. We want to be one with our friends. We want to be one. We want to feel like we're one with our families, our spouses, our kids, our neighbors. We want to feel like we're one with our own dreams, our own ambitions. We desperately want to feel like we're one with God. We want some peace in our lives that might come from a unity like that. And peace often comes, after all, in the form of some sort of reconciliation and some sort of resolution of the many tensions that we feel inside of us or in our own communities, tensions that we feel uh, that, that are sadly brought on by sin and by pride. But when we think about this situation of our want for oneness, our want for unity, and Jesus kneeling and praying for us, when we hear, we read this passage, we make a really big mistake, I think, when we think that Jesus is simply kneeling and praying and essentially rooting for us. Jesus rooting for us, cheering for us, for us to be the one who get our personal, political, and spiritual acts together so that we might be worthy of belonging with God, belonging in a place of peace and joy. We make the mistake of thinking that a place, maybe even like this, like church, and a life that is lived supposedly with God, that a life like that, with peace and joy, that's for people who already have all of their you-know-what together. But Jesus isn't our cheerleader here. He's not waiting for us to wade across the river and meet him there. Life with God and life for one another, ultimately and truthfully, it's not for the satisfactory. It's not for the disciplined. It's not for the godly and for the self-justified. Life with God and a unified life with one another, it is for the lost and the broken. People like you and me who are unable to be brought back together by anything short of the grace of God. By anything short of Jesus himself intervening and acting on our behalf. This is what Jesus is praying for when he prays that we all might be one. But even more important than his desire for us all to be one is the action that he's taken for us on the cross in order to make us all one. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In that place that we didn't or don't want to be, 
in the places in which we feel most broken. Well, that's where we're met with the love of God. That is where we are met with the promises of God. And that's really good to know and good to hear lately. That's really good to know and to hear because many of our hearts were broken throughout this country and throughout this world this past Tuesday. In the wake of the awful elementary school shooting in Uvalde, Texas, and the shooting in Buffalo just a week before, and all of the suffering and all of the sadness and brokenness, all of those places in which we have found ourselves in, the places we don't want to be over these past few days and weeks and months and years, my goodness, these are all places that we don't want to be. Putting our kids to bed and dropping them off at school with tears in our eyes. Arguing about gun control around our kitchen tables and Memorial Day barbecues. We don't want to be in this place of unspeakable sadness and what feels like unreconcilable differences at times, but this is the place that we, so many of us, find ourselves in. The place that we don't want to be. But here in this place, we are not alone. And as they say, if that is true, then to say that we are not alone, well, that's no cliche. On his new interview show that you can watch on Netflix, David Letterman sits down with people for longer and often slightly more serious conversations than you might remember him uh, conducting from behind his desk on The Tonight Show. And just recently, he came out with his newest episode with actor Ryan Reynolds. Reynolds himself is a, uh, is a comic actor, but he can also find himself in some really serious roles. Um, he's a really talented, really talented guy. He's also a very handsome man. He has a beautiful family, and he grew up with three older brothers. Sound familiar to anyone? <laughs> well, when Ryan was 12 years old, like every angsty teenager before and after him, he felt at times like he was in a place that he didn't want to be. So in a rebellious moment, he decided that what he was going to do to sort of strike out his own path, put his own flag in the ground, Ryan Reynolds was going to get an earring. One of his brothers heard this. And they took him aside, one of his older brothers, they took him aside and they said, Ryan, if you do this, if you get this earring, you're going to die. <laughs> you're going to show up at dinner tonight and there will be a murder. Because dad will take one of the utensils from the table and he will kill you. So Ryan didn't want to have anything to do with that. He didn't want to hear that. And so he went off with a friend and his friend's mother uh, to the local Sears and got his ear pierced. He came home that afternoon with a little bit of pride in his own rebellion, a little bit of hope in thinking that he had taken one step, one inch closer in his own action, his own act of rebellion, closer to the place that he really wanted to be, away from this place where he felt anxious and 
But in reality, he walked in and sat at the dining room table and he found himself in a place he really didn't want to be. He was terrified. He kept his head down. He said that sweat was dripping onto his, literally dripping onto his lap, but he kept his head down. He couldn't look up. Eventually, he heard his father come in and, and he, could, um, he, he, he could feel his father sit at the dining room table. He could smell his father close to him and he could feel his father's gaze directly at him and directly at his new earring. He sat, not lifting his head up, terrified, waiting for some sort of eruption to take place. But then he simply heard his father mumble a couple of swear words under his breath. So Ryan looked up, and he looked around the table, and what he saw was his three brothers sitting there, each one of them with a pierced ear. All three of his brothers had gotten their own ear pierced. As Ryan said himself, to save me. Into the place that he didn't want to be. His brothers came with their own pierced flesh and sat. As we endure the tragedies of this life, Christ's prayer for us is that we would cling to the cross. That place where the sins and the sufferings of the entire world are made one in their defeat at the hands of our suffering servant. Christ's prayer for us in these moments of sadness and division, divided off from one another, from the places and the people that we want to be, and moments like these, Jesus prays that we might lean into the cross. That very place where the broken, the unsatisfactory, and what feel like the unlovable pains of the world, well, they're met with God's promise to never abandon us, to forgive and to deliver us with the same love that God the Father has given to God the Son. You're not alone in your suffering. It's not a cliche if it's true. This might be hard to believe, I recognize, particularly during difficult times like these past few days, these past few weeks, these past few years. But faith is simply the gift of us grasping onto the promises of God. And thankfully, the promise and the prayer of God to us is that in our suffering and in our doubt and in our despair, when you can barely lift your head up from the table, let alone grab a hold of anything around you, well, God's promise is that God will reach out to you, that God will grab hold of you, that God will love you, heal you, forgive you, and save you. That God will save us all. Amen.
Please stay.